Hey, Doc fans, welcome into another edition of the Ots and Audibles podcast. I'm Matt Prem. I'm always joined by Eric Scopel. Uh, Eric, how's it going, man? Pretty darn good. Excited to talk about these ducks. Fall camp underway. Yeah, fall, fall camp. Uh, we're recording this on Thursday, August 8th. Right dab in the middle of the first two weeks of camp. They've had six days of practice. Uh, Friday, August 9th will be their seventh. It'll be their third day in full pads. Uh, which actually, it wouldn't surprise me if they go into, uh, shells on, on Friday because they're scrimmaging. They're having their first scrimmage on Saturday. So we'll talk about that. Uh, we'll talk about some injuries. Uh, they're starting to mount up. There's been a, a couple that have been serious, uh, or I should say one that's a serious injury. Uh, the other ones were kind of waiting to see when they get back. So we'll go through that. Um, some betting lines have been released, and I've got two bets that if you're an Oregon fan and you're betting on Oregon this season for college football, you need to make right now while these lines are still what they are because they will go up. Um, get you some money there. Uh, we'll also kind of go through the positions of Oregon's fall camp where things stand there as well. Uh, but first, like we always do, we want to take care of some business here. Uh, you need to go to DuckTerritory.com. If you're not a VIP subscriber, click on the subscribe button. Uh, this is why you need to subscribe because for $1, you can join for your first month, get VIP access, you get the inside scoop on the Oregon Ducks, you get to read all articles on every 24-7 sports site, you get VIP crystal ball predictions, you get to uh, ask Eric, you get to ask me, Kevin Wade, our, the rest of our staff, the rest of our staff at 24-7 sports, your questions, uh, you get reduced ads on 24-7 Sports if you are a monthly subscriber or a yearly subscriber. Uh, it comes out as $1 for your first month, or you can take advantage of our annual price, which comes uh, out at $6.26 a month. It's just over $75 for the year. No ads on the message boards, 30% off your first year uh, price, and then it goes up to $9.95 per month. Uh, and then you get... Uh, every, you get to be able to read every team's message board and see what every team is reporting on the inside scoop of that team. So, Eric, let's let's get into this injury first, though. Um, it came out over the weekend. We saw it on Tuesday. Brendan Schooler, senior receiver, really bad news. Just bad, stupid luck because this is a guy that's a team leader. Uh, he's a starter. He's an all-conference player on special teams as a sophomore in 2017, a first-team all-conference player on special teams again in 2018 as a junior. He was expected to, you know, be a stabilizing force for this team, and now he still can, but it's not going to be off the field. Uh, ramifications of this injury are on both sides, or I should say on special teams and on offense. Uh, it's going to be tough to replace him. Yeah, you know, I, I think he's someone that is is maybe a little bit underlooked, and and that receiver position, a lot of these returning guys, and this isn't anything new, but there's been a lot of criticism, I think, for guys like Schooler and Johnny Johnson, and how they performed at times last year. And I think we saw the aftermath, at least on our website and some on social media, of people kind of under under appreciating what Schooler can be for this team, and 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 it's not just on the field where he is a fairly reliable receiver, a tremendous special teams player, like you said, basically been honored as the best special teams player in the Pac-12 two consecutive years. But it's the leadership part of things. Uh, you know, you, you, you speak with Johnny Johnson. He says he's one of the best leaders. His voice is uh, well-received throughout the room, uh, you know, across position to, you know, to, to position. 
and you talked to Josh Delgado, who, by the way, I should mention, said Schooler is probably their best wide receiver. I don't know if that was him being really, you know, nice and, and complimentary of a player who's hurt or if he really believes that. But if he really believes that, then that sort of speaks to the caliber of player he is. But he also said he was a, a, a driving force in kind of maturing Delgado when Delgado arrived in January to, to prepare for spring practice. That Schooler was somebody he looked up to, not just on the field, but off the field. So you're losing somebody for, and I don't know if we said six to eight weeks from the injury is what Cristobal said. So that's not six to eight games. It needs to be clear with that. That's six to eight weeks from the injury. So he probably is going to miss somewhere between, I don't know, three to six, seven games maybe, uh, depending upon the, the speed of the recovery. He's It's going to be a loss. And, again, Oregon at wide receiver, he was expected to be a first-team guy, and they're going to need to replace him. And that's probably something we'll talk about on this podcast and probably about to talk about is how are they going to do that because, once again, this is a veteran leader who carries a lot of weight in the locker room, and this is a player who was at least expected to play a lot this year after starting, I think, a handful of games last year at wide receiver and being one of the more productive wide receivers the last couple of seasons Albeit, and if you're being honest, with some kind of up and down games and, and, and some some struggles, with, you know, included in it. But I, I don't think this is one you you look at and go, oh, it's just a it's just a player who's not going to impact things. This is going to be a loss that I think really does impact them going forward. But it's also an opportunity for some of these younger guys to step into that role. Yeah, Mario Cristobal described it as six weeks. Uh, as an optimistic return, eight weeks as a more realistic return. Eight weeks would put him, so the injury, let's just say, happened on the 3rd of August, which was a Saturday. Um, that would put him eight weeks out, would, would be September 28th. That's a bye week for Oregon going into a Cal game uh, on October 5th. So for me, that seems like if if everything is as what Mario Cristobal said, four, four, six to eight weeks, um, that Cal game would be when it would be perfect to bring him back because you get a yeah. bye week to kind of acclimate him back into the system, get him ready, see where he's at. Does he need a little bit more time? Does he need, you know, is he going to be okay for the fifth, but he needs to be brought along slowly initially? You know, just the bye week is creates that natural, you know, ease in, into process for, for getting Brendan Schooler back. That would mean he would miss the Auburn game. He would miss the Nevada game. He'd miss Montana. And he did, he'd miss the Pac-12 opener, which is a, a row game at Stanford, September 21st. Now, people are going to say, oh, well, Schooler only had four career touchdowns. He had about 500 yards receiving yards in, in his two years as, as an offensive player. You know, what's the big deal here? My picture of this is, look, you just lost a guy that, while Albert, yeah, his production has, is not, you know, the greatest. It wasn't a guy that was like a Dylan Mitchell last year that had over a thousand yards or, or even half that as, as a, as a junior. But you lost a guy that was a projected starter going into fall camp and a guy that's entering year three in the offense that knows what he's doing, knows the offense, knows the culture, knows the tempo, knows the practice habits, knows all the ins and outs of the offense. And you're now going into Arguably, maybe the biggest game of the year, Auburn, without yet another experienced player at the receiver position, which was already lacking a ton of it. So, while yeah, his production isn't the greatest, but he was a guy that Oregon kind of knew, like, hey, we at least know he knows what he's doing. He knows he knows the routes, he knows the positions, he knows the plays, he knows the chemistry with with Herbert. And now you don't have that. Yeah, and I think that Auburn game—that's a great point. I think is that. 
that's going to be a game where Oregon is challenged. It's on a, a bigger stage than basically any of the players on the team have played on, if we're being honest. Obviously, they played in some bowl games here, but that's going to be an incredible atmosphere against a really talented Auburn team. And losing a receiver who's of his caliber hurts, but it's also the fact of, like, you're going to be in some ad, adverse situations in, in new yep. territory against some good opponents, and you lose having a steadying force out there. And look, you look at the guys who are probably going to replace him, uh, it's a lot of freshmen. It's a lot of guys who haven't been in these big moments. And even the veteran guys like a Johnny Johnson, who we should mention was kind of the first up in line to, to replace him with the first string, is somebody that hasn't necessarily played in a bunch of big games or had a bunch of big game experience. He's a more, he's obviously one of the more veteran receivers, but, uh, this is, I think it hurts from that perspective, maybe the most. Just of, you're losing his presence there. Obviously he can be with the team. I, I would guess he might travel to that game. Obviously we don't know travel list yet, but, uh, you, you lose something when, when a guy like that who, who has that importance with that group is unable to be there, you know, in full capacity. So I think that's a great point. That Auburn game, which is critical for the season, you lose yet another leader. I think the significance of this injury wouldn't be as bad if the, if the schedule is inversed, not conference wise. If Oregon opened the season with a Montana and then played a Nevada and then played an Auburn to close out non-conference play, just because Oregon, you know for a fact you know, Oregon could throw out three freshmen at receiver against Montana and, and for the most part, no, hey, it might be rough at times in this game, but we'll win. Like, the, the talent disparity is that, that wide. You can't say that about Auburn. Um, and, you know, these freshmen are gonna get, are literally gonna get, you know, thrown into the deep end and are gonna be told, even more so now, you've gotta produce, cause you're it. You know, there's, there's Johnny Johnson who's a junior. Juwan Johnson, who's a senior, but this is his first year with the program. He spent spring ball here. Um, I, there's Brian Addison, who's a redshirt freshman, but I mean, he didn't really, he had one catch last year. Uh, Isaiah Crocker, redshirt freshman. He didn't play at all last year. Uh, yeah. there's JJ Tucker. He didn't play at all last year. Uh, Jalon Red, who is, I think, if I know on the back of my hand here, that Jalon Red is the most established receiver coming back. He, he had 38 yeah. catches for 433 yards. So, you know, Red will be, you know, even more so now leaned upon, you know, but after that, it's literally guys that have one, two, three, four, five, six catches at receivers. So, you know, yeah, it's, it's going to be impactful. Now let's, let's go into, let, let's shift gears from, you know, the schooler impact or the schooler loss and who does this impact the most? I mean, is this a bigger deal for, Oregon's special teams because he's a first team all Pac-12 player, two years running at this position. Uh, or do they have the pieces to, to kind of make up for his loss and, and it'll be felt harder on at receiver? I, that's a, that's a great question and, and one that it'll be interesting to see how that plays out on special teams. And look, we, we have not received a lot of opportunities to watch them go through actual special teams. We haven't seen them do live kicking or live punt returning. Uh, to this point uh, in practice, and probably honestly, the way practices are constructed, I don't know if we will. So it, it's sort of hard to see who exactly slides in there. But I do think you have a guy like Brady Breeze, who has a history of being fantastic on special teams, and a, a number of other guys that are, are younger and, and athletic and capable uh, of doing that. So I, I think there there maybe is a little bit more uh, of it. It's going to be easier to replicate on special teams just because I, I do think Oregon has the athletes to get downfield on a kickoff and take a guy out even without schooler. 
I, I think it comes down to the wide receiver position just because, like we just established, like you're now leaning upon basically all true freshmen or redshirt freshmen to fill in. I mean, that, that's the reality of it is Josh Delgado, J.R. Waters, and Johnny Johnson were the guys that have kind of seen their stock rise in these last couple practices. Johnny Johnson's a junior. The other two are, two are true freshmen. Micah Pittman is working with the second team at slot, but he's looked like maybe the best receiver on the team. He's another true freshman. He might be a guy that, that fills in potentially for schooler on the outside if they want to keep Jalen Red on the field with the first string. Um, I think it's pretty likely, honestly, that, that a true freshman ends up playing a ton of minutes now in place of that. And we saw it the last couple of years here with true freshmen, you, you know, a receiver in particular, have a hard time acclimating to the game right away, right? I mean, last year we all thought Brian Addison and Isaiah Crocker, who were two four-star recruits, were going to come in and play at least some role on the team. And that didn't you know, that didn't come together at all. They, neither of them really played. Um, and, and so I don't know what we can really expect out of these two freshmen, but I do know this is they're going to be required this year to at least be productive players because there's not really an alternative. I think the talent at wide receiver is really impressive. I think Matt and I both have, have come away from practices being like they have some guys this year that, that look like the part. I think Michael Pittman is like tremendous. Jawan Johnson is certainly a, a big body. We know what Red is and what Johnny Johnson and Schooler was. But there's just a lot of question marks, so it, it, it's going to be interesting to see. But I, if I was picking between the two, I would say it probably impacts wide receiver a little bit more adversely than, than special teams. Yeah, I, I think looking at this receiver group, um, I feel like if 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 the freshmen are as good as advertised, as Addison, his development is as good as expected from what Mario Cristobal said um, leading up to the Red Box Bowl and all through spring camp. And then the veterans are improved like we've heard and to, to somewhat that we've seen. Um, I, I think in the grand scheme of things, Oregon should be fine. They should have the talent in place. But that being said, I always just get leery of big games like this Auburn game on the road. Yeah. Cause let's, let's be honest here. Dallas is not going to be a home setting for Oregon. Um, so you, and, and I would be relatively shocked if it's 50-50. So, or even 60-40 in favor of Auburn. Um, I'm just always leery of, of newcomers and having to rely on so many of them. If it was one or two or one, yeah, you can get by that. And that could, that, that's not an issue. And that, and you, that's not really a big concern. But when you start saying, hey, Oregon might have to rely on two newcomers in the starting lineup. They might have to rely on two to, two to five newcomers in the rotation of a, of a seven or eight spot, you know, eight numbered, you know, position group. That's where I start to get worried about position groups and, you know, newcomers having to do so much. We saw it with the basketball team. You know, so many guys were new and, you know, asked to do such big roles and there's so, you know, so few of, of our returners that it took them a while to adjust and figure things out. That's, I think maybe that's maybe even the bigger question is how long does it take for Oregon's newcomers, Jawan Johnson and the freshmen to have the light bulb turn on in their heads and things click and they perform, you know, at a level where they're not thinking and they're just reacting. And the perfect example of this is DeAnthony Thomas's debut at Oregon, where I think he fumbled the ball twice yeah. against LSU the last time Oregon played uh, at Dallas Cowboys Stadium uh, a handful of years ago against another highly regarded SEC opponent. You know, it's not, and obviously we know DeAnthony Thomas wanted to be a, a tremendous player at Oregon, had a fantastic career. 
Uh, um, and he was a guy who even he started off really slow in his debut game with the big lights and everything. So uh, you, it's hard to know how reliable and dependable these true freshmen are going to be in these big situations, which is, again, why I think the loss of Schooler should not be overlooked. I think it's significant. Now, Schooler's also not the only guy that's dinged up. Seems like there's uh, a wide range of injuries right now going on with, with the football team. Yeah, it, it does seem to be that that's the case. Uh, we, we were at practice today on Thursday, and, and I'll just run down the list. We, Cam McCormick, Popo Amave, and David Davis have been out basically all week. McCormick has missed every practice so far of fall. And we talked about this a little off air. You feel for a guy like McCormick, who last year missed his whole basically his whole season because of an injury, has a great spring, is positioning himself, I would have said, maybe to be the starter, probably to be the starter over Jacob Breland. And now he's not going to get the momentum necessarily to get there because he's going to miss at at minimum seven or eight practices with an injury. That's a rough loss. Uh, Popo Amave and David Davis, two reserve guys, they're both out right now. Uh, And then I think the thing that's notable is that today's practice, we saw three guys, and they're all pretty notable players, sidelined. And first off, Diomede Lenore, starting corner, was out with an unspecified injury. We don't know severity there, but that's something to keep an eye on because he is arguably uh, one of their top two or three guys in the secondary. And then Jamal Hill true freshman who we've been talking a lot about uh, at nickel, who was pushing maybe to start there, uh, was also out today. Again, unspecified. He was without his helmet kind of walking around. I don't want to speculate on what the injury was, but sort of sense it's not a serious one. Uh, and then wide receiver Lance Wilhoyt also missed practice, another player that was kind of fighting to position himself for some playing time there. Uh, and then three players were in red non-contact today, Sam Patasi and Justin Johnson on the offensive line, and then Gary Baker on the defensive line. The injuries are starting to mount a little bit. Again, we don't know severity of really any of these besides Schooler, who, who is obviously as a, as a six to eight week deadline to return, a timeline to return. But this is this is kind of what you get into in fall camp when the pads come on, guys get dinged up, and we're starting to see that so far. And uh, it's it's certainly something I think you have to be cognizant and concerned about. All right, we're going to take a quick break, and then when we come back, uh, we'll go through. Um, some position updates as well as there's, there's two games that Westgate came out with for their betting lines for the Ducks. And there's two games that I think if you're a Duck fan right now, history kind of suggests that you need to throw some money on it right now before the lines go up. Um, all that coming more after the break. The wait is over. The Shy returns with new episodes on Paramount Plus. What brings you to the show? Opportunity. Everybody get down! Walk right up to the side. A new rain is coming to the south side. Never should have sent a boy to do a woman's job. The Shy. New episodes now streaming. Visit ParamountPlus.com slash The Shy to get a 50% discount off the Paramount Plus with the Showtime annual plan. Offer ends July 14th. The subscription auto renews. Restrictions apply. Every sport has their big, juicy controversy. Boxing has the Mike Tyson ear bite. Cycling has Lance Armstrong. Baseball has its steroid era. Curling has... Broomgate. It's a story of broken relationships, houses divided, corporate rivalry, and a performance-enhancing broom. It was a year I'd like to forget. Broomgate. Available now. All right, welcome back to the Odds and Audibles podcast. Matt Prem, Eric Scopel. Uh, we teased it before the commercial break, but let's let's kind of run through 
the position groups here and, and give you guys kind of an update on um, where everything's at. I think Eric at, at quarterback, it, it's it's pretty safe to say, Eric, that nothing is new at this position, right? We kind of know what Oregon has, and you know, until scrimmages happen and games happen, what what's behind Justin Herbert really is always just going to be a kind of a projection. Yeah, and I think at this point, from my perspective at least, there's a pretty clear hierarchy behind Herbert of Tyler Shuck is, is the number two quarterback and Kale Millen is the third quarterback. I, I think we – I know I reported uh, that Kale even told me at Media Day that he wasn't necessarily planning on even playing this season. He was going to use it as a redshirt year to build his body up to work on his intangibles. So I think it's pretty clear to me it's going to be Herbert as the starting quarterback and Shuck would be the guy to replace him if something happened. Running back um... – there's a lot. There's been a lot of shuffling. Yeah. Some of that's because of illness. You know, Travis died, missed a practice. Sounds like he was throwing up the day of, but he returned uh, to practice on Thursday. Uh, C.J. Verdell has. I, I don't know if they're being cautious or or what, but you know, every once in a while he he doesn't take reps with with uh, the first team or the second team and. Um, he did say he does get treatment on a daily basis for his hamstring, which he had a hamstring issue almost the entirety of last season for football. Um, but this is pretty standard operation. They, they treated Verdell just like they did during all of spring ball, um, very cautious with him, and um, but there shouldn't be any concern that he can't play. Uh, and then Cyrus Habilakio and, and Darian Felix, and now I think Sean Dollars is, is kind of – that's kind of that, that next tier, um, Cyrus, Darian, and then there's maybe a little gap, and then there's Sean, and then uh, Javon Wilson, and, and Cross Patton, and a couple other of the running backs that they have on roster are there right now, right? Yeah, I, I think the, receiver, the running back thing is interesting just because it feels like Verdell and Dye are, are clearly the top backs, but they – I can't think of the last time they ran. Have they, they've been run with the first and second team since the first practice. I mean, I, I don't think they don't think so. I don't think they have. So it's been a weird thing where a lot of these guys. I actually asked Darren Felix about this uh, uh, yesterday uh, about the fact that he's been getting run with the first and second team offense, and he said it, it gives me the opportunity to kind of show what I have. And I, I think they're probably going. We kind of know that Verdell and Dyer are X, Y, and Z. We know what they are. Uh, let's see what we got from the other guys and, and give them some run with some of the some of the better teams. And so far, that's kind of what we've seen is a lot of Felix and Habibi Lakio with the first and second team, and then Dollars and Wilson kind of rotating from there. Uh, at the receiver position, um, this is one that's that's probably got a ton of intrigue. A because of the injury now with Brendan Schooler and how that impacts things, but just the jockeying that comes from the competition. Um, we've we've talked to Johnny Johnson. We've talked. To Josh Delgado, we've talked to Micah Pittman, um, all since the injury, and they've all said, even before the injury, the competition was through the roof. Uh, Mario Cristobal has mentioned that, Marcus Arroyo has mentioned that, that there's a lot of options and a lot of guys that Oregon has that they're trying to figure out. And I think this is, you know, we knew going into fall camp this was going to be the case, but it's playing out that way where every day it seems like you know, some guys with the second team instead of the third team, or some guys with the first team instead of the second team. Uh, there's a lot of jockeying going on right now with this position group. It feels like Jawan Johnson and Jalen Red are kind of the only sure things with the first string right now. And even Red could get tenuous if they decide to move Pittman to the first team in the slot. 
Uh, but I agree. It's, it's kind of those two. And then everything else is a lot of question marks and uncertainty. Um, I will say it does seem like there's kind of a group A and group B. I wrote this in the practice report today, but there, it seems like the focal point of, of, of the reps are going to a certain group of guys. Uh, and, and that's in the story, but guys like Isaiah Crocker and JJ Tucker, for whatever reason, are kind of working with the walk-on group, if you will. At least they were today in practice. I found that to be sort of interesting and kind of demonstrative of, of what's going on uh, with, with that group. But you're right. There's just six or seven guys kind of pushing, I think, for, for a couple of spots to, to be rotational guys for a while. Tight end group, pretty much what we would expect it to be. Jacob Breland's number one, Ryan Bay's two. And then after that, it's kind of a rotation. Sometimes it's Hunter Camp Moyer. Sometimes it's Spencer Webb. Sometimes it's uh, Patrick Herbert. Um, all three of those guys are kind of fighting for that third spot. We'll see what happens when McCormick comes back. He was at Thursday's practice fully dressed down. He just didn't participate in a ton of stuff. So maybe that's a sign that, that things are getting closer for Oregon and getting their, their junior tight end back uh, full go. Offensive line, um, again, we kind of knew that this was a group that was kind of dead set on maybe their top six, seven guys. But now it's figuring out maybe where those six or seven guys best fit. Yeah, it looks like the left side's pretty well set with Penne Sewell protecting the blind side, Shane Lemieux at left guard, and then center it has been Jake Hansen. But it's what do they want to do at right guard and right tackle? And last time we spoke on the podcast, we kind of laid this out, but it's is it Dallas Wormack starting at right, right guard and Throckmorton at right tackle, or is it Brady Aiello at right tackle and Throckmorton sliding inside to right guard? And that kind of seems to be... Uh, the big, probably the, one of the biggest position battles offensively is, is those two seniors on the right side there pushing to see which one of them wins the job. And again, the versatility of Throckmorton kind of allows them to do that because he's capable of playing probably all five spots and certainly uh, either right guard or right tackle. Along the defensive line, you've got more experience watching this group than I have, but yeah. um, it does seem like there's two groups. There's a group of veterans that are Somewhat pretty established. I think it's safe to say Jordan is probably the, the most established player along the defensive line. Uh, and then there's a couple guys, Austin Folio, Gus Cumberlander, um, Drayton Crawberg, Gary Baker, that, you know, you could make cases of all of them starting. But then there's also maybe a, a younger group of guys now nipping at the heels. Yeah. And, and if I was, uh, I was wagering right now, I expect when the season starts, it's going to be three veterans on the off the defensive line, at least from what I've seen. It really looks like it's Scott in the middle. Probably follow you at one end or Carlberg and then Cumberlander looks to be kind of, at least right now, lined up pretty well to be their starter there. Then you have a guys like DJ Johnson who's kind of cross training. Kayvon Thibodeau's been playing linebacker. I think we spoke about that. And then a bunch of true freshmen. And this is where things could be kind of interesting to see where they all play out. I actually asked, uh, Joe Salavea today about where do they think these four incoming freshmen, uh, kind of bigger bodied defensive linemen in Kiora Hudson. Uh, Christian Williams, Suave Poti, and Brandon Dorless, where do they fit in? And he says they're just basically throwing them out there and, and letting them kind of get their work in before they put the pressure of, of kind of attaching a position to them. So those are kind of the wild card guys are uh, because I think you could see one of those guys legitimately being Jordan Scott's uh, backup at nose guard. Um, but it's a question of who is it, and it's a question of kind of where the rest of those guys shuffle out. So, But you're totally right in terms of there is a weird dynamic of a bunch of veterans and a bunch of new guys and kind of figuring out how all that gets sorted out. It's it's a much bigger and more deep group than the last couple of years, though, that's for sure. Linebackers, kind of much the same same deal. Let's, let's start yeah. inside. 
um, at inside linebacker. Ken Wilson, Oregon's inside linebackers coach, said today on Thursday, August 8th, that um, he felt like he had three guys that he could throw in there and know that they were you know confident and, and could do what they needed to get done. That's obviously Troy Dye, and then that's Isaac Slade Matsuya, and then I butchered that name in the worst possible <laughs> way. I'll just call him Isaac Slade, and then uh, Samson New. Yeah, those are the three guys that he feels comfortable with because of their game experience. But then he's looking for th- three or four more guys to kind of fill up that rotation on the inside, and, and those are all going to be guys who basically haven't played D1 football uh, yet. And those are guys like Drew Mathis, Jimon Eford, who are both newcomers, MJ Cunningham and Andrew Johnson, who both just redshirt last year. That's kind of that second group. And MJ Cunningham is a guy who I actually asked a little bit about specifically because he looked like he was getting run with the second team over all of those other guys, which I think sort of surprised some people. Given the fact that he was kind of an afterthought last year, he redshirted right. he played into the games, um, that's someone to kind of keep an eye on uh, as well in terms of that inside linebacker spot. And then on the outside spot, this is where it gets interesting. I think there's a lot of intrigue, a lot of um, uncertainty, or just maybe we just don't know because we don't get to see a, a ton. But where guys fit and what positions that they're going to play uh, are they stud? Are they the other outside linebacker? Where do they fit? Absolutely, and it's it's stud or the Sam linebacker, and it's sort of unclear if if the stud and Sam are going to play all that much together. I actually, Dante Williams said something to be kind of interesting about. I asked about Jamal Hill and, and him playing the nickel position, and if he would move other spots to see the field. And he said, "Well, the nickel position is in our base defense." So he, I think it sounds like their base defense for Dante today. It sounds closer to a three-three-five than a three-four. So that kind of clears things up maybe a little bit, although everything feels like smoke and mirrors right now with Avalos' defense. Uh, but you're right. It, it is kind of uncertain to a certain extent on how that is going to translate to the field. In terms of who's playing there, Bryson Young, to me, feels like pretty locked into that top, that top stud linebacker spot as we speak right now. Kayvon Thibodeau, um, Adrian Jackson are, are two other guys that are kind of you know figuring out, to you know, are factoring into that position group, if you will. And the other side, it's it's Lamar Winston and Adrian Jackson uh, are kind of atop of that Sam spot, uh, along with a couple of the true freshmen, like uh, Mace Funa, who I think is playing both Sam and Stud. Uh, but then uh, Trevin Maye and Isaac Townsend are, I think, playing that Sam spot primarily right now. And, and those are guys that I don't know if they factor right now just because they do have some veterans above them, but are certainly going to be interesting to see how they perform uh, when they're given an opportunity this year. Eric, you buried the lead there. We have some breaking news. I know. Oh, I, 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 I guess it is sort of breaking. I was, I kind of had uh, forgotten about the significance of what Dante said. I don't even think I told you that today at practice. No, we have breaking news. There's a base defense for for Andy Avalos. And that came from Dante Williams. So it didn't even come directly from uh, from Andy Avalos. And so maybe he's speaking out of turn there or something. But I was, I was actually surprised a little bit with the, the candor of of the bat because there has been so many question marks about what position or what, what kind of formation they're going to be playing. It seems yeah, well, like, to me, a 3-3-5 three, three, is, is kind of what they're doing. Yeah, we'll have to see how that plays out. Um, one other note, though, about the linebackers, and a lot of people are saying, oh, well, where's this guy? How is he not in the two deep? Or how is he not starting? Or yada, yada, yada. People have to remember, and maybe this, if if what Dante said is true and that they are going to a 3-3-5, three, three, that removes one of four linebacker positions. And Oregon, you know, that automatically means one of those four linebackers that started last year or, or was projected to start before the shift in 
uh, scheme change is now automatically coming off the bench just because there's not enough. There's four guys for three spots. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, it's it's interesting, and a guy like Lamar Winston, a guy like Adrian Jackson have have shown flashes of being really good players. So it'll be interesting to see all that that factors in. Obviously, I think there will be situations where a three four is what they sure. played primarily in games, depending upon the opponent. But if what Williams said is true, is one of the things we talked about all offseason is kind of the uncertainty of what their base defense looks like, or heck, do they even have a base defense? But if what he said is true, that leads me to believe you're going to be seeing. Uh, a guy like Lamar Winston and Adrian Jackson, maybe not on the field quite as much as we expected they would be. Sure. Uh, moving to the secondary, let's start at nickel, um, because we are expecting a 3-3-5 now. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Ro McKinley was expected going in to be that front runner, but he certainly has some challengers now. Yeah, you know, it's, at first it was... We should mention Jamal Hill was somebody that drew a ton of attention. We mentioned he's banged up. He's had a great fall camp so far. But Hockey Woods has probably been a little bit overlooked, and Dante Williams had some really nice things to say about him and his development. As the uh, Keith Hayward. As the Keith Hayward. Uh, Woods is a guy who I think it was maybe surprising he got a sixth year of eligibility and is able to play this year. I think a lot of people thought you know, he was listed as a senior. He petitioned for it. There was some concern about whether he'd get it, and, and it sounds like it, it could actually be a pretty significant a decision to give him another year of eligibility because he might actually end up factoring in more into this than I think we thought. Like we said in the spring, coming into the fall, I was like, oh, Verone McKinley, just pencil him in there. He's going to be that guy. Now it feels like it could be Hockey Woods. It could be McKinley. Heck, it could be Jamal Hill eventually. I don't know if that's going to be something. Uh, I don't know if that's the way it's going to start out to start the season, but certainly more intrigue at that position. And I think Hockey Woods is kind of a name to watch given how uh, highly his coaches are speaking about him right now. At the cornerback spots, this is one where we kind of knew going in, Oregon has two studs at corner. And Diamande Lenore and Thomas Graham, both juniors. Graham's going into his third year as a starter. Lenore is going into his second. The the question has always been, and I think continues probably to be a little bit, who is behind those two guys? Yeah, and, and it's been hard to say. We should mention because uh, Daywood Davis has been hurt. Diamande Lenore was, not, uh, again, banged up today and didn't practice. Mikhail Wright feels like kind of the most logical third corner, if you will, when everyone is healthy, but it's who's that fourth guy? Is it David Davis? Is it DJ James, uh, another true freshman? Uh, could it be Verone McKinley coming back over if, if his time at nickel uh, doesn't work out or, or if somebody else beats him out for that job? I think there's a lot of options. I don't know if we have really that much clarity right now uh, to what that rotation looks like. I, I still feel confident saying that Graham, Lenore, and Wright are their top three guys, but after that, honestly, it could probably go one of two or three different ways in terms of the way that depth uh, rotates, at least from my perspective right now. At safety, um, the general consensus is that Javon Holland has got one position locked down, and then Nick Pickett and Brady Breeze are, are duking out for um, the other spot, and that's somewhat true. Dante, uh, excuse me, not Dante, Keith Hayward came out and said uh, after practice on Thursday that while Nick Pickett and Brady Breeze are duking it out for first-team reps and they're splitting reps right now, um, Holland is also having to fight off some guys. He said Steve Stevens is is challenging. He said uh, Khalif Halisi is challenging. Uh, and they've got a couple other guys in the mix at, the, at those positions that are pushing all four of those players uh, for playing time and that he, he feels really good about the health of the competition at that position group. 
Thanks for bringing up Polisi's name. That's another guy Dante mentioned as possibly fitting in um, a little at corner, possibly, uh, with kind of those depth questions. He's moving around a lot still. Uh, last year he played corner, moved to safety in the spring. Now he's kind of doing a little bit of everything, it sounds like. So that's a guy who kind of named to watch. But you're right. I think uh, I think Nick Pickett and Brady Breeze are locked into a battle. And right now, at least through five or six practices, Breeze looks like kind of 1A. He looks like he has the, the slight edge and... Uh, that surprises me a lot. Uh, you know, it surprises me that it hasn't been as much, ro- you know, more rotating between the two guys. And obviously, this is ongoing, and, and we probably won't have an idea. Uh, it could be a thing where they rotate throughout the season, even depending upon who performs at a higher level in game. But that, I think, defensively is one of the more interesting position battles to watch. Uh, and I spoke with Brady Breeze on, on, I think it was Wednesday, and he had some interesting things to say about his confidence. And how it's how it's been kind of a focal point is just getting himself confident that he can do this. That he's had issues with his self confidence, but he's really took ownership of kind of blocking out the noise and, and focusing on him just on himself rather than everybody else. And that's been a key thing. And then Steve Stevens gave me one of my favorite quotes. Uh, I think I guess it was on Tuesday when defensive players spoke, but just saying that hey, I thought I was going to come in here, you know, as a highly rated recruit and basically start from day one. And then had to realize, hey, it's going to be a lot harder than that to play at this level because he had to redshirt last year. And, and now he seems pretty dialed in. And, and there's been a lot of positive things about Steve Stevens, uh, now a redshirt freshman, and his his ability to kind of position himself behind Javon Holland and maybe push Javon Holland. I don't think anyone expects Stevens to beat out Holland for that job, but he's certainly at least in the discussion now as that second safety. Overall, things pretty good, right? Things are projecting. Uh, I think – the progression of this program is going in the right direction. You know, someone on, on the message board asked me, Eric, and you can chime in on this as well. Of just does Oregon look like a team that can compete with Auburn? And I think going in, the, my it, I my feeling was, yeah, I think I think they can compete. I think they they're going to win. I, I mean, I've early projections. I've p- picked them to win this football game. But I think watching this team now, six days in, seeing the the speed, the sheer size, the fact that they've got a full 85 scholarships now, the recruiting that's been done, um, I feel even more – I feel better about where this group is going. Are, are they at, at their peak yet? Not even close. No. But, uh, but they're still – but there's they have vastly improved just from spring ball, in my opinion, of just, you know, they're bigger, they're faster, they're stronger – and there's there's more of those types of guys on the roster. I, yeah, I think if you just look at it from watching what we get to see in practice, it's pretty clear the body types, the athleticism, the sheer depth. We talked about that last week on the podcast, or I guess earlier this week on the podcast, about how there just aren't spots where they don't have a couple of guys battling. And those competition, I think, have been key. I would love to be able to sit and watch Saturday's scrimmage, uh, which we should mention will be closed to media and the public. Um, but that would be an opportunity to really get a better idea on stuff because I'd still like to see what it, all of it looks like in a game setting before I say, hey, hey yeah, I'm, I, I think they're definitely going to beat Auburn or, or yeah, I think they need to work on this or this to beat Auburn. But uh, I agree in terms of what we've seen in practice and kind of the the hype around, uh, you know, the HDC, uh, you know, around practices, uh, there's reason to be optimistic for sure. And, and I think people are sort of uncertain to what Oregon's going to be, obviously picked 13th and in the poll, and, and a lot of people think they're one of the favorites to win the conference, but I have not seen, I'll put it this way, I haven't seen, a, there hasn't been anything that's happened that makes me go, oof, they actually might be in trouble. Like, ooh, yeah. 13 is way too high. There hasn't been anything where it calls into question 
kind of the perception, at least not from my perspective. I've just seen a team of guys that look ready, look hungry. All We should mention the interviews. I haven't had a thing where someone said something that I've gone like, that's a weird thing to say. That guy doesn't seem like he's got his you know head on straight. Everybody's sort of saying the right stuff, seem to be doing the right stuff. There's a lot of optimism around the team. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I do feel that way. But, again, I, I'd love to be able to – I'm really bummed out we don't get to go watch that scrimmage on Saturday because I think that would give us an even better idea of where they stand. All right, let's move on to some some betting lines. There's two lines that I think Oregon fans need to get on if you're going to bet on Oregon football. The Westgate, Las Vegas uh, Sportsbook, Westgate Superbook, they released a, a new batch of college football betting lines uh, Wednesday, August 7th, um, and this has multiple games across the board. There's seven games that feature the Ducks that were released lines Um I think most notably everyone's going to look at Auburn first. The Ducks are a three-point underdog in that one. Um, I would probably bet Oregon on that one because uh, I'm thinking they're going to win. Um, but that's not one of the two games that really surprises me on the line. And um, the, the first one is a, uh, a, a game against the Colorado Buffaloes uh, at home. In mid-October, that's October 11th, it's a Friday, the Ducks have opened as a 17-point favorite over Colorado. And I've gone back and I've looked at you know some of the lines for, for the Ducks when they played the, the Buffs. And the most recent time they played was in 2016, and Oregon was a 10-point favorite, and they lost that game at home. Um, but that doesn't necessarily tell the whole story of, of – of where Oregon is today. And, you know, historically, Oregon's dominated the Buffs. In, in 2014, they were a 32-point favorite. They won by 34. In 2015, they were on the road. They were a 7-point favorite. In a game in which Vernon Adams was hurt and didn't play yep. in, they won by 17. Uh, and then you go back and you look at Colorado's, you know, games that they've played the last few seasons, uh, and, you know, they, they do not cover the spread. You know, they were a plus 7 at Utah. They lost by 13. Uh, they were a plus six against Washington State last season. They lost by 24 points. Uh, they were a three-point underdog to Arizona. They lost by eight. Uh, they were a 24-point favorite over Oregon State, and they didn't cover, and they didn't even win. They lost 41 to 34. You know, they didn't cover against Washington, 27 to 13. So I think this is one – Colorado is supposed to be terrible. They're they're picked last in the conference. They've got a new head coach in Mel Tucker. Um, they haven't recruited very well. And you can get this game at 17 points right now at home for Oregon. I, I would put a lot of money on, on that game. Uh, yeah, I, I think that's definitely one of the more favorable lines. And I think there are seven that were released uh, a couple of days ago and Kevin Wade put up the, the all of them on the website and go check those out. I think the headline is Las Vegas updates odds for seven Oregon football games. Uh, maybe I'm a little bit more high on Colorado. I just think they're interesting with LaVisca Chenault and they have their quarterback and a couple of defensive guys back. With that said, I, I don't disagree that I would bet that line. I think Oregon at that point in the season will have some momentum. I think they're going to be unbeaten to that point in the season. Um, and, and I think that's a game that they could easily win by much more than a couple of touchdowns. Uh, the Ducks are a two-point favorite in a game a couple weeks earlier uh, against Stanford on the road September 21st. Kind of surprising, um, yeah. but or you know I, I think Oregon's the better team. They're a two-point favorite already. Uh, yeah, I, I I can't say I'm 
all that surprise, obviously the conference uh, voted and determined Oregon was the best team in the Pac-12 North. And let's be honest here, Stanford doesn't really have much of a home environment. I mean, it's it's not it's it's not significant. It's not it's not something that really impacts games. I don't think. Um, I think I would take Oregon there. I think Oregon's going to win that game. I picked them to win that game. Uh, it'll be interesting to see. I could see that margin being larger too. I mean, two's pretty narrow. I think that's a game that if Oregon, especially with the way last year's game went, I could see that being a game where they really just want to put it on Stanford. Or, Oregon should have beaten Stanford last year by two or three touchdowns. Somehow they lose in one of the more bizarre games I've ever seen. <laughs> uh, I mean, just a really weird game. I mean, so many things had to go wrong. I, I mean, they could have been up. What I think it was like they were on the doorstep trying to go up thirty-eight to ten. I think midway right. through the third quarter, and somehow they lose. Uh, so. Yeah, I, I like Oregon in that one in large part. Oregon, we should mention, Stanford and Colorado, two teams Oregon probably wants to beat pretty badly just given the way the last couple meetings have gone. Arizona obviously being another team like that. A couple other lines that have come out or have been updated uh, by the Las Vegas um, Sportsbook Westgate Superbook. Probably the toughest stretch of Oregon season right here. They go to Washington. They're a three-point underdog, and this one – and then they play Washington State the following week. Uh, and against the, the, the Cougars, they're a five-and-a-half-point favorite. And then they go down to USC the following week where they're a two-point underdog. That you know That's a tricky area to navigate, let alone bet on, in, in my opinion. I, I have Oregon winning all three of those games, but you know confidence isn't very high on, on those three. I actually have Oregon losing two of those games. I have them, we did our predictions on the website. I have them losing at Washington and at USC. Those are my two losses for the regular season. I just think US, I stay away from both, to be honest. USC in particular is like, I, especially right now, as the season progresses, we'll probably get a pretty good idea. And I'm sure, sure. it would be a game maybe worth putting a bet on, you know, in October or, or early November, right before the game. But, uh, I, I just look at that game and, and say, we all know USC has talent. It's on the road. Uh, they're going to be a team that's going to match Oregon athletically. They're probably really hungry to win that game because Oregon's gone into their backyard and beaten them pretty soundly recruiting these last couple of cycles. With the exception of a couple of guys, Oregon is really kind of as weird as it is to say, and it feels so counterintuitive given the way these programs have been for decades, but Oregon's been kicking USC's butt pretty good in L.A. right now recruiting, and I'm sure there are some people on that team, uh, coaches included, that are going like, this is an opportunity to show the guys in in L.A. that this is where they should stay in L.A. rather than going up to Eugene. Last but not least, the last game that got updated and is one of two games that I would bet right now on Oregon if if, if I was going to throw some money on is the Civil War. Um, yeah. How, have you seen the line? I'm looking at it right now. Yeah. Okay. And so Oregon is a 23-and-a-half point favorite, and the game's at home. I would bet this game today. If, if you were looking for games to, to bet on Oregon – on in the middle and early parts of August, the, the Civil War would be the second game that I bet. Um, I understand that 23 and a half points is a lot of points, but look at this. You know, let's just go back the last few seasons. 2014, Oregon was an 18 point favorite. They won by 28. Okay. In 2015, Oregon's, Oregon was a 35 point favorite. They won by 10, but that game, you know, kind of got out of hand a little bit and early on defense laxed up. Still, Oregon State covered. Uh, 2016, Oregon, Oregon was a three-point favorite. They lost. We all know that one. But then in 2017, Ducks were a 25-point favorite. They won by a largest margin of victory in Civil War history of 59 points. Last season at Oregon State, 18-point favorite. 
they won by 40. So the last two years these two teams have played, the Ducks have won by 59 and 40 points. They've almost won by 100 points uh, combined in two games. Not much has changed from a roster standpoint for either team. You know, the, the Beavers have gotten a little bit better. Sure, they've added a little bit more depth. Sure, but the Ducks have, have substantially added better players. They've substantially improved on their depth. This game being at home and the history that Oregon traditionally wins this game by more than 28 points. I, w- I would bet this one. I, I would too. Uh, I, and I, I agree that there's probably some reason to have some optimism that, that Oregon State is slightly better this year. They did bring in a number of guys from Nebraska who are highly rated that could kind of infuse some talent there. At the same time, the depth there isn't there defensively. They have been just terrible the last couple of years. I just don't see how that changes that much from last year to this year. And again, I also think that the fact that this Oregon team is probably going to enter that game with nine or ten wins going for a conference championship, there's going to be a lot of motivation on Oregon's side to win that game. I think 23 and a half feels, again, it's a rivalry game. You understand why it maybe is a little closer than it maybe should be, but yeah, I'd take Oregon at 28, maybe even 30 points, honestly. Yeah, I just, I just so to go back to it, there's two games that I think if you're going to bet on Oregon right now in the early parts of August, there's two games you bet on. Uh, you bet on Oregon at Colorado, 17 and a half, and then you also, um, 17 points, excuse me, and then you also bet on a Civil War, which Oregon is a favorite of 23 and a half points. Um, both, I think both Colorado and Oregon State, there's a, a significant dip, drop in talent and in depth at both schools compared to everybody else, especially for the Ducks. So um, lots of betting action already being put out there. And you know what? Maybe we should talk a little bit more as the season goes on. I don't know how, how well our, our betting odds are um, <laughs> from last season. I, I seem to forget that. But those right now are two games that I would feel pretty confident uh, Oregon being able to, to cover. Yeah, I think our, 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 I'm not sure how good we are at this historically given the numbers, but I think we're pretty dialed in on these two games. So follow yes. up with that. All right. For Eric Scopel and myself, Matt Prem, thanks for listening to the Ots and Audibles podcast. We'll be back sometime early next week, uh, to talk more about Oregon scrimmage that happened on Saturday. Uh, we'll all, on the 10th of, of August, we'll also kind of give you a little look of, of where things are progressing from a depth chart standpoint. Some freshmen that are standing out. We'll dabble into a little bit of recruiting as well. All coming up on the next episode of uh, Austin Audibles. Until then, thanks for listening. We'll talk to you soon. Adios, amigos.